You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you're joining us. Uh, We just want to take a second, as always, to say thank you for joining us. You could have been anywhere during this time, whether it's Sunday morning or any other time, and and we just want to say thank you. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. Refuge is a new church plant in Southeast Austin, and we exist to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. We believe Jesus, his love and his message brings very real change to people's lives, and that real change also brings very real change to our communities. And so whether you are a regular with us for worship or if you're joining us for the first time, if you're interested in that change, if you're interested in that change in your life or being a part of that change here in Austin, then I want to encourage you to jump into the video description. Hit that connection link. That is the best way to learn more about our vision for your life and for Austin in general, uh, to hear more about when we're going to be launching, officially launching uh, the Church Plant Refuge Community Church, and just to get involved in any way you see fit or any way the Lord is calling you to get involved. And so we can't wait to hear from you. We would love to pray for you, share more with you, but then also just learn more about you. And so can't wait. We, we love to and are expecting and anticipating hearing from you. Okay, so right now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be jumping into our time in the Word, my favorite time of the week. Okay, we're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Seize the Moment, where we're discussing how to incorporate healthy rhythms into our lives. I know you're like, how can we incorporate healthy rhythms in the middle of a global pandemic? And that's precisely why, to be 100% honest with you. Um, COVID-19 has stripped our lives down to the fundamentals, yet it is actually those fundamentals that are the building blocks of building a healthy life in the first place. Primarily because it's those fundamentals that are impacted first and foremost by the message and the power of Jesus. And so we have a great opportunity right now to take inventory of those fundamental parts of our lives, incorporating healthy rhythms that will serve us, hear me, far past the pandemic. Okay, so I'm excited to jump in. Um, As a side note, but very appropriate, actually not a sign at all. It's very pertinent. Uh, today, we're not just continuing our sermon series. We're actually finishing our sermon series. This is going to be the last week in Seize the Moment. I know all good things must come to an end. I, can fe- I feel like I can hear your tears. That's just my dog. Okay. No. <laughs> um, but if, from here on out, what you can do, uh, what you can be expecting is we're going to be giving a couple of standalone sermons, similar to what we did prior to starting season moment for myself from uh, Sean, our other pastor here at Refuge, uh, before we jump into our next sermon series, which we'll be uh, announcing in just a couple of weeks. But um, today we're going to be closing up this series by talking about something that really brings almost all of the topics we've talked about together uh, in this series. And so it's something that, that looms large in Christian language, but often fluctuates in our own convictions and lives as followers of Jesus. And that is the topic of service, the topic of serving others. Okay, When we examine our lives, the state of our culture, uh, what, what our society holds dear, the actual act of putting others before ourselves in this day and age is extremely difficult. In the culture where gaining for ourselves is valued above everything else, the idea of giving of yourself is a little challenging. And, and not just giving of yourself, but truly putting Putting others before yourself is so incredibly hard. Um, And you might be thinking, how how can that be? America is an extremely generous country. That's true. Um, I I personally give to charities, X, Y, and Z. You're totally right. 
Uh, but we're not just talking about giving money, actually, from, from our comfort, especially that. Hear me. We're not talking about giving or even serving with our hands from our comfort. Uh, rather, we're talking about the act of sacrificing even to the point that it's uncomfortable. Most psychologists today uh, have now come to the conclusion that many, if not most, people actually serve or help others based on what it means for them. Okay, check this out. Bobby Hoffman, he's an associate professor at the University of Central Florida. He wrote in Psychology Today, uh, a periodical, a, a magazine or a website that focuses on kind of practical theology, uh, practical psychology, not theology, psychology. But he wrote this. We tend to help others that we think are like us. Much of much of the research on helping suggests that many altruistic behaviors, such as donating money or sharing our personal resources, are motivated by self-interest, how we see ourselves in relation to others, or an external standard of personal accountability. Jeez, if we follow this line of thinking through, this is actually horrible for our relationships, Okay, the, the moment somebody is not like us or does something that we don't agree with, we may even feel entitled to withdraw our help or our service from that person. Likewise, and in a similar vein, we begin, uh, we can easily begin to place pressure on someone to be a certain way, probably the way we think is best for them to be, uh, it, even outside of spiritual conditions, but just certain habits, certain, certain. Uh, certain the way people act or think or, or the way people express themselves in order to earn our service. Okay, you can easily put people in a position where they feel like they have to earn not just your service, but hear this. This is a great way to make people feel like they have to earn your love. Okay. Now, today, I honestly wholeheartedly believe that there is a fundamentally better way to live our lives uh, and a fundamentally better way for our hearts to exist in the world. But that doesn't come from me. Okay, I believe it, but it's not because it's something that came from my mind. It actually comes from Scripture. In fact, it actually comes from the lips of Jesus himself while he was on earth. And today, I want to spend some time as we close this series today looking at what he said, because if we get this, I wholeheartedly believe, again, that all the other weeks are going to make sense. And it's my desire that whether it's in community or marriage or parenting or singleness or any other place in our lives, that the heart, the idea, the lifestyle of serving will serve us in building healthy rhythms and beautiful relationships across and throughout our lives. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verses 40 through 45, though uh, we are going to be jumping around a little bit. And so let's go ahead and dive in. Verse 41 starts like this. When the 10 disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, hey, before we head any further, it's important for us to understand what's happening here, meaning it's important to build the story behind what we're reading right now. Uh, and y'all, there is so much story to tell here. It's, it's, it's for the nerds in the group, this is gonna be great. Uh, our reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, which nearly all biblical scholars universally near agree that the, Mar the Gospel of Mark is the first or earliest account of Jesus' life. It's actually the first gospel written. And it was written by a, a man named John Mark, who was a, a convert, a young disciple who 
features across actually the book of Acts. He went on mission trips with the Apostle Paul, a lot of really cool stuff there. And he collected stories to put together an account of Jesus' life. But it's not quite as simple as just random stories kind of thrown together. He actually writes the gospel with a purpose. He wants to address the question of whether Jesus is truly the Messiah or not. Okay, that word Messiah, he, he wants to, to identify him as, as the, the actual Jewish rescuer, the royalty, the redeeming figure that's coming to make all things right. Okay, that, that's who he wants to identify Jesus as. If you remember last week, this is important in the context and the culture, because we described how the people of Israel under the oppression of the Roman government had lost their land, they had lost their kingdom, their autonomy as a people, and they were desperate for their Messiah, the rescuer, to come and really overthrow the Romans and set everything right for the nation of Israel. Um, this figure was largely expected to be a king and to rule um, with power and, and, again, to fight back Rome and to, to kind of give them freedom once again. Uh, sorry, this is kind of giving me a little trouble here. So it was really hard to understand uh, how Jesus could have been the Messiah when he didn't overthrow the Romans. He was actually killed by the Romans. So this would have been perplexing. Uh, and, and it's really this exact space that Mark wants to help his readers figure out like who Jesus is, how he is the Messiah, what that means. And so for the first eight chapters of Mark, he's showing, he's showing Jesus as the Messiah. He's showing him in power. Jesus is, is forgiving people, not just forgiving, but he's casting out demons. He's showing this type of power and authority, this type of mission and purpose. He uses the word immediately a lot during those chapters to show this, uh, this, this powerful individual. But then he uses the second half of the book, chapters 11 through 16, to show how Jesus, this Messiah, is actually establishing his kingdom on the earth, and he's doing it through the cross and his resurrection. And so right in the middle uh, between 8 and 11, between 8.22 through chapter 10, uh, Mark is actually connecting these two ideas. This, this, this point about who Jesus is and how he's establishing his kingdom, he's bringing them together. Uh, and he uses, he does it in this really cool way, uh, he uses huge, a huge chunk of text to tell several stories that are all connected and share certain characteristics. They start with the healing of a blind man in 8.22. And then they go into three stories that each have three components. Okay, and those components are one, uh, that Jesus predicts his death. Two, that the disciples do kind of something dumb and show their sinfulness. And then three, Jesus gives a corrective teaching showing them what it means to follow him and what it means to be his disciple. And then all of it ends with another story of, of a man getting healed from his blindness, kind of like a bookend to show the story ending uh, with a story that's similar to how the story began. Y'all, if you ever hear anybody, anybody say that, that the Bible is this like backwards, dumb, antiquated book that isn't applicable, bump all that. This, you take them right here, okay? Be, because we, we 100% believe that the, the Bible was inspired by God and its authors, right? But we also affirm that the people that wrote these writings were brilliant people, okay? I, I, I got to move on. This is just a little aside. I want to, when you approach scripture, be encouraged that you're not reading something backwards, that it's a miracle that you believe. It is a miracle that you believe the gospel. I'm not saying that, but the Bible is an amazing book that stands up against anybody's criticism because of not just the inspiration, definitely inspiration, but also because of just the, the sheer, I mean, genius that's in here. Anyway, got to move on. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? Okay, 
Uh, I say all that to tell you that it's actually in the, the, this set of stories that we find our text today. It's actually the third story of that set of three. Uh, it starts actually in verse uh, 32, where Jesus is predicting his death right there in chapter 8, verse, or chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 33, you see Jesus say, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will come, they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Okay, so the story, this story really starts with Jesus bearing his heart, sharing the, 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 the coming heartache that, that he's going to experience in his crucifixion. And you would think that this would spur his disciples towards some kind of kindness or some kind of compassion. Yet in the very next verse, in verse 35, uh, it says that John and his brother James come up to Jesus and ask him for a favor. If, if that doesn't seem a little insensitive, then, then I don't know how you live your life. It's literally if like one of your boys or one of your homegirls is like, I just found out I have this long to live. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Hey, um, you have that really cool poster, though. I would love to get my hands on that, right? Super insensitive. Just real jerk move. All right. But alas, Jesus, full of compassion, full of grace. He's, you know, cool. He's like, hey, holler at me. What do you want? And these dudes look at Jesus, who just shared what's coming is wrestling with, you know, the reality that his bodily death is looming large in front of him and requests, hey, allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left hand when you enter into glory. In other words, allow us to assume the most powerful and second most powerful positions under you when your kingdom comes, okay? Um, this would have been absolutely wild, okay? This would have been absolutely wild. It would have been super disrespectful because what they're saying is that they, they see, hey, I know you're going to die. I know you're, you're, you're suffering. I know you're, you might be a little bit scared, a little bit worried. But, um, you know, we heard you say that your kingdom was coming. And so when that comes, if you could, like, let us get in early, get in on the ground floor here, we'd appreciate it, right? And so it, it's crazy. But if, but if we're being honest, and one, if you're not, like, kind of offended by this as you're reading it and, like, man, James and John are jerks, then I encourage you uh, to go back and reread it and to capture the story because it should be appalling, all right? But... I digress. Uh, if we're being honest here, and I'm going to start getting a little bit personal, all right, so, so buckle your seatbelts. This is actually just most of us in a nutshell. Uh, it, it's most certainly me, all right? Let me say that. I relate a lot to James and John here, and, and I think after I finish explaining this, you might as well, because what's happening here is James and John see a moment to get ahead, and they're taking it. Okay, they see a moment where they can maneuver their way into high standing positions in the kingdom that they see coming. And yeah, they may have a wrong view of the kingdom. They think it's going to be an earthly kingdom. It's going to end up being a spiritual kingdom. But nonetheless, they're still, they're still giving it a shot. They're trying to get ahead. And here's what they're doing. This is the best way to describe it. They're seeking their own interests. Okay, they're seeking their own, regardless of what it means for the other disciples. And y'all, I'm going to go ahead and say something right now, and I hope it doesn't offend you, but, but I, I, I honestly do believe it's true. This is really all of humanity. James and John are like a microcosm for all of humanity. Okay, this isn't James and John. This is all of us. Most of us don't have a kingdom that we can advance in, but we just read a quote a while ago that said, when we serve, we even serve so that we can feel good, a.k.a. to serve our own self-interest. Now, 
This is all of us when we let our self-centeredness and our selfishness go unchecked and unrepentant. James and John are, aren't really concerned about how this is going to affect Jesus. They seem like they ain't really even caring about Jesus in the first place. And they're even, they seem to be even less concerned about how this is going to impact the other 10 disciples in their, their Jesus clique, right? How often do we live our lives just like that, where we show very little concern about how our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, what we're doing is going to impact the people around us, even the people that are close to us. Like, we don't even realize it, but, but without thinking through, we can often act without thinking through how it's going to impact our spouse, our, our children, our roommates, our friends, right? Um, I mean, Jesus, I, I think about my own life, and, and if you're anything like me, your life, like mine, is littered with these moments. I think about my, my time at home often with my wife, Rachel. There are times, hear me, and, and don't judge me. Let this be something that, that hopefully encourages you to look at yourself as well. There are moments where my wife, Rachel, is frustrated and down, and I get frustrated that she's frustrated, <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy. But I'm frustrated because I can't, like, chill the way I want to or, or do the thing that I want to do. It's interrupting me pursuing my own self-interest. It seems so far away from what James and John are doing and trying to pursue a kingdom and all that. But, but friends, in reality, we all do this exact same thing almost all the time. And maybe for you, it isn't getting frustrated with those that are close to you, but maybe it's serving only as much as is convenient for you. That's your self-interest, right? Maybe it's only connecting with people that are like you. That's your self-interest. Maybe it's shunning people who don't believe the same thing as you, either spiritually or, or men. Politically, especially right now in this kind of chaotic political climate, which we will get to in a, in a second, no matter what it is, when we find ourselves considering our own self-interest more than we consider the lives and feelings of others, it sets us down a path that will inevitably hurt or offend other people. Just look at verse 41, right? In 41, the next verse, that's when it starts with what we just read, where it says, when the 10 disciples heard this, they begin to be indignant with James and John. We don't know exactly why, hear me. We don't know exactly why each one of them was upset. All we know and what Mark wants us to know is that when they saw what was happening, they became angry. Maybe it was because they felt left out. Maybe it was because they felt like they were being taken advantage of. Maybe they were just mad that they didn't think of what John and James thought of in the first place. Regardless, what it's showing us is, is that when we seek our own self-interest, it isolates us from those that are around us. It leaves people left out. It leaves people wanting. It leaves people hurt. Uh, at times, it can even, even leave people angry. This is what caused this train wreck among the disciples right now. Hear me. This was a train wreck. Jesus, you know, kind of shares his burden with the disciples. Some of them are like, hey, can I like, can, I, can you make me powerful? The others are like, hey, don't do that. I'm not. This was a train wreck. A train wreck, y'all. Yes, it, it's exactly in this train wreck that Jesus steps in to offer loving, compassionate, grace-filled wisdom to his disciples. Check out verse 43. It says, Jesus, or actually 42, starting 42. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but those and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. In other words, he's helping them see that the way of this world with its pain and its heartache and its suffering and its, you know, its brokenness is the way of actually pursuing self-interest. That power, authority, influence, that's the destination of, of living life to seek your own self-interest. 
if you're up for it and you're not already wary of it, like my heart can be often, if you just look at our own political system here in America, it's a great example. And it fits right along with this idea of those who are our rulers. No matter what side you're on, I'm not picking on one specific side. I think that, that both sides are guilty of this. And I'm sure, I, I totally believe that there are people that have good hearts and are doing it for good reasons. But when you consider the whole landscape, um, especially at some of the higher positions, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them, you can often feel that weight of what it looks like for someone to pursue you, to love you, to respect you up until it serves their own self-interest. Okay, you think about the the election of 2016. Uh, that was, I think, one of the hardest elections there I mean, you had one side calling the specific ethnic groups names. The other side was calling supporters of the other side, like what, whatever, you know, uh, not scumbags, but it was something else, you know. Like, it, it, it was just horrible. It was a horrible landscape. That's a great example of what it feels like to, for someone to pursue you only to the extent that it, it actually enhances their own self-interest before you feel the weight of really being left out. Um. The state of politics, right, as it stands, I think um, can help us understand this feeling that Jesus is describing when he's helping us see that the world's aim is to gain from one another, right? That's the world's aim, whether it's glory or self-esteem, whatever it is. And when that becomes the focal point of our lives, it hurts people. It hurts people. People feel the weight of what, what probably could be described as a tyrant. Okay, this is, again, hard for us to understand because we don't have a kingdom that we're pursuing or that we're ruling over or that we're running. Uh, we don't have a dictator, nor do we, are we dictators. But let me give you an example. I have a house. You probably are sitting at your house right now. Um, and oftentimes that feels like my little kingdom. When my kids, when my dog, dogs start kind of causing a ruckus and it interferes with my self-interest, the things that I'm pursuing, I tend to get really frustrated and they probably feel the weight of a tyrant on them at times, right? When, when if we're not careful for many of us, our lives, our worlds can oftentimes, if, if we don't check ourselves, can become like these little kingdoms and, and everyone involved in them becomes our subjects. They're playing, they're playing their role in us fulfilling our own self-interest. They're to serve us in what our story is and, and this type of thing, let me say this. Jesus brings all this up to see that he opposes it. He's not for it. Um, this, is the type, uh, this is not the type of, of thing that Jesus points toward. He, he abhors it. He, he does not like, he hates it. And the primary reason is that he sees and has a value system that's 180 degrees in the other direction. Okay, check out his response um, to that lifestyle in 43 where he says, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. That way of living isn't supposed to be the case for us as followers of Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of God, those values are completely different. It's not our self-interest that dominates our heart, but rather it's the interest of others. In fact, the one uh, that wants to become great is going to be a servant. And that word there uh, for servant is actually near to the idea of someone who, who, who waits tables. That's what the greatest among you looks like. <coughs> Excuse me. How often do we see someone serving us, whether at a restaurant or at an event, and think that's the model of greatness? How often does that happen? Uh, th this actually kind of reminds me of the NBA playoffs. And so right now, if you are watching the finals, I am too. I'm rooting for LeBron, but I hope Jimmy Buckets gets game seven. That's what we're saying. Okay, just want to throw that out there. But it reminds me of the NBA. 
<coughs> I'm watching the finals. LeBron's doing his thing. Almost everybody in the world could acknowledge that LeBron James is greatness on, on his play. In his, I'm not talking about off-the-court stuff, though. I think a lot of that is actually true greatness. His on-the-court stuff is where he first earned the title of great through his skill, his ability. The dude's just like a freak of nature physically. Like, dude's 35. He's still balling on people. It's amazing. But if you were to take, if, if you were to ask Jesus to watch an NBA game, I think it would be someone that we probably haven't even seen or maybe that we don't even notice that he would point at and go, that's greatness. You see, when, when NBA players sometimes jump or, or they kind of get knocked or foul or something, they'll fall over. And, and since these dudes are playing high energy, 48 minutes, they are drenched in sweat. So when they hit the ground, there creates like a little, like a little slippery spot where all that sweat accumulates. And as soon as they get up, you all the time see a, a young man or a young woman run out with a little mop and just start like going crazy, just blah, 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 wiping up that, that wet spot so that it could be dry to protect the players so that they can keep playing without the fear of injury. They oftentimes go unnoticed. You don't even really realize they're there because you're focused on whatever, the, the ball getting taken out or free throws or whatever the case is. Yet, I firmly believe that if Jesus was sitting in the crowd and everyone was going, look at LeBron, he's greatness, Jesus would pinpoint those people and go, no, that person serving is greatness. The, the greatest person on this court right now is actually not the one who's going to get the ring, it's the one that mopped the floor. What a crazy thought, but, but this is kind of the, 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 the upside-down nature of how Jesus is calling us to see value and greatness and service. And it doesn't stop there, though, because Jesus kind of double downs and says that the first among us would be a slave, the person that in this society was actually farthest down. And we don't even really have a shelf for this because uh, we don't have slavery now the way that they had it during this time. Mind you, it's not uh, chattel slavery. It's not kind of uh, the African slave trade that was present in the early American periods, right? But, but nonetheless, it's still uh, indentured servitude, a type of slavery where people were considered property, oftentimes in order to pay off a debt so they would eventually be freed. But nonetheless, slaves were considered some of the absolute lowest people in this um, culture. Yet what Jesus is saying is that these people, right, the ones that are serving with their entire existence, those are the ones that are first. It's kind of hard to wrap our mind around this one. Um, and it would have been harder, I think, to, to it would have been maybe just as hard, I should say, for, for Jesus' audience here to understand it. But I love the way James R. Edwards, who's a theologian and professor at Whitworth University in Washington, explains this in his commentary on Mark. He says, pursuing the point still further, Jesus declares that whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. The pronouncement is, of course, an oxymoron for a slave who was inferior even to a servant must was in ancient society the last and least of all. The idea of a slave being first is as absurdly paradoxical as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And it probably likewise induced smiles and shaking heads from Jesus' audience. The desire for power and dominance focuses attention on self, and this kills love, for love by nature is focused on others. It's this reversal of greatness that's meant to inform our own lives, friends. 
calling us to lay down our lives for others, giving of ourselves for the sake of those around us. And I know this is hard. It, it, it oftentimes does not feel fun. It, it rubs against our flesh, as the scripture calls it, right? That part of our humanity that is really still fighting against God's goodness in our lives. We feel the weight of, of kind of asking the question, why? Or like, how? Like, I, I can't do this. This isn't fair. It doesn't feel fair. And I know I get it. I, I, I can feel like that as well, if I'm being 100% honest with you. Yet, the final verse really gives us the reason why we're called to it. And, and, and maybe more important, how we're empowered to live out uh, this type of life. In verse 45, Jesus finishes and says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest example of this lifestyle. When we consider Jesus, we're not considering uh, someone kind of like anyone else that we know on earth right now. We're thinking about someone who in eternity past, before the earth and the universe was created in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite love, thought to himself, what does Josh need? What does, insert your name, need? And at the appointed time, he left the comfort and glory of heaven in order to come and to do what? To serve. To serve who? To serve us. And how did he do that? He, gave, he did it by giving his life as a ransom. This was his mission. This was his purpose. Mark wanted us to see that the Messiah, the one who was going to be king, was enthroned as king by taking the cross. He gave himself. That's what it looked like. Like, even think about, you remember how I told you that this story begins with the prediction of his death? Well, in that prediction, they're actually headed to Jerusalem. And if you take a look at verse 32, look at what's happening. It says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking where? Ahead of them. Even knowing what lie ahead of him in Jerusalem, Jesus walked ahead of everyone else, determined to serve us by giving himself so that we could be forgiven. How can we live out serving others? Because we've been served by one that's far greater than us or them. I'm free from the constant battle with shame and guilt that plagues me and has probably plagued you and freed to combat those lies with the truth that through Jesus paying the penalty for my sin, I am now considered innocent. I am not considered free. I am no longer dependent on anyone else's opinion, anyone else's judgment, anyone else's affection, because I have now been made new. I am now actually his. So now I've been restored to live out my humanity the way it was supposed to be lived out by, by putting my best foot forward and living out life as Christ on earth. I love the way this idea is captured, I feel like almost perfectly, by Charles Lamb, who was a 16th century English essayist. He said this, if Alexander the Great or Charlemagne or Napoleon came into this room, we would all immediately arise for them and their extraordinary leadership. But if the Lord Jesus Christ came into the room, we would all get on our faces in adoration. That's the difference. Jesus' love compels us to worship and love, seeking the interest of others because he showed us the type of healing that comes when someone knows they've been pursued and loved, and now we have been given the great opportunity to know and pursue and to love others. It reminds me, um, and I, I might get a little misty-eyed on this, but it reminds me of the great French novel uh, Les, Les Miserables. Uh, I don't know how to say it, it's French, but y'all know, Les Mis, everyone's heard of it like, at some point in their lives, where the main protagonist, Jean Valjean, 
freshly released from prison, I believe it was 19 years in prison, is given lodging for the night by a bishop at the local church. And Valjean, in the middle of the night, proceeds to get up and steal all of his silverware and flee. Talk about repaying kindness. Um, Valjean doesn't make it that far before he's actually stopped by police and and they bring him back to the church the next morning, uh, placing him in front of the bishop, returning his silverware and informing him that Valjean had said, this was actually given to me by the bishop. In an opportunity where the bishop has the opportunity to um, say, this man stole from me, in turn where Valjean would be sent back to prison for the rest of his life, Instead, he tells the officers, this man is telling the truth. In fact, he goes back and says he forgot uh, to take all of it, and he grabs two silver candle holders and gives them to Valjean. In a moment where Valjean, Valjean's life was really on the line, he is spared, and it changes his life, moving him uh, to become a force for good and really a force for God in the book. Uh, through the forgiveness and grace that's shown by this bishop. Friends, the grace that we are called to show, the love and affection, the service that we are called to show, is the grace, the love, affection, the service that's been given to us by the one who could have judged us as guilty, but gave us instead new life through giving his life for ours. Sorry. Today, whether it's serving uh, at our local Rodriguez Elementary School or, or even if it's just humbly serving in our own home, the people that live with us, even when it's a convenience for us, an inconvenience for us, we, we've been given a gift that we're now called to share because we've been loved and freed and given the gift of life through the king of the universe serving us. So we're now free to serve others, inviting them to see the character of our king through us. And are we going to be perfect at that? No, we're not going to be perfect at that. Okay, I'm letting you know we're not going to be perfect at that. But that's where the beauty of Jesus serving us comes back into play, when he forgives us, builds us back up, and sends us back out to continue uh, pursuing others the way he's pursued us, serving others the way he has served us. Okay? And that's what we're really doing here. If, If you think about it, as a church plant, our, our mission statement is that we're here to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. We're here to extend the love of Jesus to others and let that love, that affection, that service through us serving them move them so that they then are convicted to go out and serve and create change in their communities, the communities that we all live in. Right? It's this beautiful cycle that we want to start, but it starts with us getting involved in that cycle, by us getting into the game, if, if that makes more sense to you. And so to close up today, I want to, I want to ask how we can practically do this. How do we practically serve others? Okay, and I have a few, um, about three to four different ways that we can do this. And the first is really simple. You heard it a little bit earlier in our service today. You can give to Rodriguez. Uh, we have partnered with Rodriguez. That's where we will eventually be meeting when we launch and when we're able to get into there with coronavirus and everything like that. Um, they were in need of some things with the, with the kids coming back into the classroom. I mean, 
napping mats, sanitation stuff, school supplies, that type of stuff. And so we are purchasing those things for them. We are going to donate that stuff. And we would love to invite you to get involved by, by sacrificing, by giving sacrificially of your resources in order to make that happen. In order to give, you can click on the giving link um, in, in the destination, the fund destination. Choose Rodriguez Support Fund. Give there. That would be greatly appreciated. That's one way we can get involved today. Another way is through our grocery delivery team. Um, they serve on Saturday mornings. We actually partnered with Gateway uh, Church South. Things down on Westgate um, to deliver groceries to families in this area. We would love for you to join that effort. It has been a great experience for a lot of us. We have loved it. I do that personally. And so if you're interested in that, click the connect link that I mentioned a little bit earlier that's in the video description. Mention on there that you would like to join the grocery delivery team, and we would love to get you set up. The third way is, is kind of moving away from the outward serving and more inward. And, and I would say another way is to begin by just serving the people in our homes. Um, this week, I want to encourage you to take inventory of the ways that you can serve the people that are close to you, specifically the people that live with you, if you can, if, if you live with other people, whether it be your spouse, children, roommates, friends. Uh, think about ways that you can serve them that are encouraging. Okay, let me be honest. This isn't just talking about like house projects or dishes or putting your, your shoes where it's supposed to be. Those things are all included 100%. I think we should all be aware of those things out of respect for others and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but this can also just be that emotional form of service that I think can often go unnoticed. Um, if you're anything like me, uh, let me put, I'll put it like this so that you can understand what I'm saying. If you're anything like me, then one of the best ways that you can serve the people close to you is just by keeping some opinions to yourself. <laughs> like that's my, that's my life, right? That, that's one of the ways I have to consider it. When I have opinions, uh, opinions that may rub someone the wrong way, a great way to serve them is simply by, by asking the Lord, what is it that you want me to say? And how is it that you would want me to say this thing? So thinking before we speak to the people that are around us, I think that's a great way uh, to begin serving the people in our home. If you really think about it, this would have helped John and James in our text today, big time. <laughs> and this, is, this last one is less practical, but it's more a principle that I hope uh, will stick with us for this sermon, but also stick with us, I think, across the board for every topic that we've discussed this week. And that is, as a principle, I want to encourage you that no matter what it is, a great way for us to grow in this area uh, is by serving until it's sacrificial, okay? Serve until it's a sacrifice. Simply doing these things alone is good. I, I, they're good things to do. But if we're not careful, they can, they can um, verge on what we mentioned earlier, where we're starting to do things for our own self-interest or, or to check off a box to, to hold ourselves accountable to something. One way to fight that is by serving until it feels like a sacrifice. I, I, I can often not feel good. It can often not feel good, I should say. But it's a beautiful way for us to offer ourselves and, and, and really ensure that we're doing it for more than ourselves and fighting that desire to seek our own self-interest. Okay? And so... To close up, I'm praying this whole series has helped us focus um, on the truth that the healthiest rhythms that we can build in our own lives are often the rhythms that put others first. Whether it's in our marriage, our parenting and our discipleship, our singleness, our neighbors, no matter what it is, okay, the rhythms where we put others first, not only do they, do they serve us well, but they also connect us to the suffering, selflessness, and service of Christ. They bring us a reminder that it is actually only through that service that we have life. And living in light of that love for us, God's love for us, is the healthiest rhythm that we can live in. 
And so let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts to respond to the word in worship here, and then we'll come back and give one final blessing before we go. You pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your love that gave yourself to serve us on the cross by giving your life so that we could have a new life. I ask that we would really lean into that love, that we would lean into the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the affection that you show us so that we could then in turn live that same lifestyle toward those that are around us, whether it be those that are closest to us or even strangers that we don't know. Let your love and affection now be the mission of our hearts to show to those who the others in our lives, no matter, again, no matter how close or far they are, so that we can continue to advance the mission of making disciples that shape our communities, not with just the idea of being kind or the idea of service, but rather with your love, with your service. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 